Welcome to the Cloud Accounting Podcast. I'm Blake Oliver. I'm David Leary. And I'm Ethan Ruan, Assistant Professor of Accounting at Harvard Business School. Ethan, thank you so much for joining us. I feel like you have just leveled up this podcast by bringing the Harvard Business School name to our show. Well, that's <laughs> and, a lot of pressure. Let me try not to disappoint. <laughs> and we're here. We're, we're still at Sage Intact. So yeah. we're recording our normal news episode live, but we brought you in. You're in... I'm sitting in Boston right now where the weather is probably is good, but probably not as good as your weather. <laughs> and, and we just well, have this amazing technical marvel of connecting wires. And, and the thing about Las Vegas is, of course, when you go there for a conference, you never go outside anyway. So <laughs> we might as well be in Boston. Yeah. So through the miracle of the internet, we are speaking to you remotely from Las Vegas. We, uh, by the way, are at the Sage Intact Advantage Conference uh, in exploring all things Sage Intact. But... Uh, for our, our regular news episode, we're definitely going to talk about that in this episode, uh, everything that's going on. But David and I saw an article a few weeks ago, and we both really wanted to talk about it, And and but we didn't feel qualified necessarily. Uh, the headline was just, I was like, this makes so much sense to me, but I really don't understand it. So I'll read the headline. <laughs> and, and, and David had a great idea. He's like, uh, why don't we just go see if the author wants to talk to us, <laughs> which is something that I would never think to do. So I'll read the headline. So... Here's the one. The problem with accounting for employees is costs instead of assets. By Ethan Ruin, which happens to be you. That so, is. Uh, you know, maybe you could come on, uh, or well, you're here now, uh, and explain to us, and uh, for the benefit of our listeners, what are we talking about here? I mean, I, I, I recently read a book called The End of Accounting by Baruch Lev, and I noticed a lot of similarities, I think, in thinking. Um, and, and if I understand right, maybe I can sort of just summarize uh, your point and tell me if I'm wrong. In many companies now, people are their biggest asset. And yet we, we don't think about them. Uh, we don't have them on the balance sheet. Right? We, don't, uh, we don't capitalize our investment in people. And that, 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 why don't we do that, right? That, why doesn't Gap uh, update itself? Right or why don't we update Gap to be able to do that? I mean, am I anywhere close to uh, yeah to your, the just your your article and your 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 what you're saying? Yeah, I think that was a pretty perfect two sentence summary. I mean, basically, <laughs> I equated it's like trying to fix uh, using Gap right now is like trying to fix a Tesla with a manual for a Model T. Um, you know, we we are living in a world in which Gap is not necessarily prepared because we have. We're creating so, or we companies are creating so many intangible assets. And you know, the perfect example is the cliche that employees are our greatest asset. And yet, under gap accounting, that's just wrong because employees are not assets; they are strictly costs. And so, therefore, it, this creates a host of problems that um, are likely related to some of the concerns around the lack of training, as well as you know, growing wage gaps. Um, and issues that concern not just companies, but policymakers as well. So you said here in the article that going, going to this, the gap actual reporting um, and your analogy of trying to fix a Tesla with instructions for a Model T, uh, if you look at the financial statements of a corporation from 100 years ago, on the face of it, they look pretty much very similar. And companies now report very detailed information you say in this article about their capital investments, but they have almost no reporting requirements related to human capital. What should we be doing ab about this? Or I suppose like what, why is that a problem? 
Well, I'm nervous about the what should we be doing because I don't necessarily have <laughs> solid answers. I'm good at so, pointing out the problem. So but, I'll change my uh, question then. Yeah, yeah. Why is that a problem? Yeah, why is that a problem? Well, well, it's it's a problem from first of all from an investor point of view. It's a huge problem because investors um, are definitely interested in how companies invest their capital, and we know that labor is a huge investment. It's a huge cost center, but. We know nothing other than the boilerplate saying we have good relations with our employees. We know that most of that cost is invested in, embedded in COGS and SGNA. And then we have about 10 to 15 pages of information about how the top five executives are paid. But that's about it. We now have the CEO pay ratio as well, which gives us the pay of the median employee. But again, there's lots of, there's a growing body of evidence showing that that's not very useful. And so, if companies want to invest in employees, if they want to find ways that this is effective and they want their investors backing, they need to start communicating this better. They need to say, look, this is how we're investing in our employees, whether it's training, whether it's recruiting, whether it's increasing wages to uh, reduce turnover. And that will allow us to start to measure how these kinds of initiatives impact the company performance. So is this going to eventually possibly become a political issue? Because I think it's I think it's already a political issue. I, I um, part of what sparked this was I was at a conference where Mark Warner was talking about this very issue. He's the uh, senator from Virginia. Uh, this is something that I've been thinking about in my teaching as well as my research. But um, hearing him talk about it made me realize that there might be a taste for it outside of the ten academics who read accounting journals. And so um, so yeah, so he he's already talking about it. The SEC has been uh, fielding comments about what human capital disclosures should look like by not tracking it this way is the the impact like really employees are impacted because then companies don't like if i guess if they're i have a bunch of robots working for me they're assets and then i invest in maintenance yeah, you of those. get to capitalize the robots right but you don't yeah. get to capitalize so i'm not incentivized training. to take care of my employees well, I mean, that's not totally true because, you know, you get a tax, you, you get a break on your taxes immediately for your employees just by lowering your taxable income. But at the same time, you're not, there, there's no way to communicate this. There's no, there's no feedback loop outside of whatever is happening internally, usually very, in very siloed management, management decisions. Um, and so putting it on the, you know, on the financial statements, whether that's a turnover measure, whether that's information about how they train and uh, train and retain workers, that can start to tell a more compelling story. It could start to encourage companies to really investigate whether all of the truisms and folk wisdom that we have about employees, such as that uh, it doesn't make sense to invest in training employees because you make them more marketable and they're just going to leave for a higher job for a higher paying job at your competitor. These things we say are true, but there's no evidence to support this. And in fact, the <laughs> anecdotal evidence start, is starting to say, actually, this might actually be the opposite of what's happening. Well, Ron Baker says that all the time, like these people, like, why don't for accounting firms, like, I don't want to train the employees in my accounting firm because they're going to get trained and they're just going to leave my firm and go somewhere else. But the, the real scary thing is, and Ron Baker always says, like, well, what if you don't train them and they stay? <laughs> <laughs> well, and, and, and there's the, you know, argument that, uh, if you have good employee development and training programs, that really attracts the best and the brightest because the best employees want to learn. And if you 
So, so it's, it's an investment in not only in the, your current people, but in the people that you are hoping to attract down the road. And, and so, I think also it's, um, you know, it's, it's a long, it's, it's a long-term investment that allows companies to ride out tough times, like the time we're facing right now, where the labor market is incredibly tight. Uh, one of the articles I mentioned in the in my article is from is from the Wall Street Journal talking about KitchenAid, where they have for decades had a very thorough and uh, generous training program that has allowed them to bring people up through the ranks, and they're still manufacturing their uh, the KitchenAid mixers in the United States and have plenty of employees to do this in part because they this is they have this reputation for taking care of their workers. I want to read something from the article that you wrote that may, it's a pretty bold statement. Uh, Quote, U.S. generally accepted accounting principles, GAAP, is an outdated and inadequate tool for documenting the behaviors of the modern corporation, unquote. So taking it a little bit broader, right? We started and just dove deep into human capital and the way that's represented in accounting. Uh, what do you mean by gap being, you know, outdated and inadequate in general? Cause that's what really, this is, this is one subtopic in that broader conversation, right? Did you tweet that? Is that like out there? Is like, that's <laughs> the should. official statement. <laughs> <laughs> um, oh, it's always painful to hear, hear your own writing being read back to you. <laughs> oh, I love it. I love it. You know, that's, it's great. Yeah. So I, I, you know, in, um, in our intro financial accounting class that we teach to the MBAs, one of the frequent takeaways is this: it's that Gap cannot tell the whole picture, and this has always been the case. You know, Gap sacrifices the specific for a mediocre, generalizable story that you can tell across companies when you, because you can't create individual rules for every single company, even though every single company does things differently. I think that that has become. A more severe problem as we move into this technology-driven world where many of the assets are intangible, where we invest heavily in employee, where we or we rely heavily on employees who aren't assets because we don't have control over them and that they can leave their companies. And so one thing that regulators and rulemakers should start to think about is how we can tell the stories of these businesses using a broader set of rules, more narrative rules, less specific measurement, because we're still always estimating. And gap is always an estimate. But these estimates are becoming more and more wrong as the concrete assets become smaller and the less tangible ways in which companies generate profits become larger. Right. The rise of intangibles is a, a big theme of Baruch Lev's book, The End of Accounting, which uh, I just finished reading. Uh, are you familiar with it? Yes, I am. So if I understand his thesis, to summarize, <laughs> I'm probably going to do this very badly. He says that Gap really hasn't changed all that much in 100 years, uh, or well, Gap hasn't been around for 100 years, but accounting essentially, the income statement, balance sheet, statement of cash flows hasn't changed a lot, but businesses really have, that we've moved from a capital-intensive machinery where your machines kind of generate your profits to one where it's our knowledge generates our profits, right? The knowledge economy. And that's, that's, where we're, that's where the people come in, right? Being such an emphasis. Uh, and Gap hasn't changed. All we've done over the last several decades is make it increasingly more complicated with more and more rules and more and more disclosures. But like fundamentally, it's still very similar. 
so I'm wondering, you know, what's, what's your hot take on, on that? Yeah, you know, I think it's not just gap accounting, but also tax accounting where we're seeing this and where it's starting to really surface as a problem because we have, again, you know, a company formerly could have built a plant in Ohio and a lot of its profits would be generated by pushing out product from that plant. And now a lot of these profits come from patents that can be moved around the world. Um, you know, we have tons and tons of company subsidiaries uh, that are created largely to lower tax burdens, but yet where most of the valuable assets of the firm are now held. And so I, I agree 100% with Baruch Lev's book that that we are basically reading or using a rule book that was created at a time when the corporation looked nothing like it does now. And, 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 you, oh yeah, and you can't see this right now, but like David's eyes are kind of glazing over a little bit. No, no. no. <laughs> oh. We're getting nerdy on the CPA thing, right? But, <laughs> no, I have a point um, of view on this. Uh, well, so I wanted to just okay. like bring yeah. an example here. So like for our listeners who, you know, cause I'm saying intangibles, uh, capital, all this stuff. What a great example that Baruch Lev uses in the book is R and D expense, research and development, right? The vast majority of the time, whenever you do research, you're just expensing it. Uh, but you're, the whole point of that research is to build some sort of intangible asset that you have that generates profits down the road. Right? So by just expensing it and that being the rule, uh, we're distorting the picture of the business on the on the balance sheet side because it's 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 you know revenue is no longer matching expense and all that stuff. I don't know if I did a good job. You're 100. I'm about, I'm about to make his gl- David go take a nap for five minutes because um, <laughs> no 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 I I want I, 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 I want to give an example of where this is actually somewhat being overcome and which is Boeing. So Boeing okay. Boeing is uh, there is a a rule under gap that applies only to Boeing and it's called program accounting. And with program accounting, Boeing is allowed to treat the lifetime of production of a type of plane as a single asset. And so what I mean by that is instead of the the first five years of any new plane that they create, they're going to be selling at a loss. But they know that as they tool up, as they gain experience to more efficiently manufacture these planes, they're going to start selling at a profit eventually. And so instead of saying, you know, for the first five years, we're going to record losses on every plane we sell. Instead, we are going to make an estimate of the the margin of this plane over its entire life. And that's what we're going to use for every plane from day one. And so this requires a lot of judgment on the part of Boeing. Um, and they've done a very good job of this over you know, the last century. But at the same time, it also holds management really accountable because they're basically capitalizing their development costs. They're saying, look, we are developing this this skill. It's going to take a while, but if we are successful, this is how much money we're going to make. So I feel like if Gap, right? Like it was created to compare three companies side by side in a very logical, unemotional way. Mm-hmm. Okay. If everybody counts yes. their numbers the same way, obviously Blake's company is worth more than my company because his numbers are higher. Right. right? But the reality is in this world we live in is investing is emotional people compare companies emotional there's cultures involved there's uh in theory of what awesome product they're going to release eventually right um people are they don't they're not using gap to make investment decisions so what what is gap being used for then it's a very good question like by anybody well and that was one of the shocking figures uh in that end of accounting book is something like only five percent of investment decisions are made using gap 
right? Or Gap is only responsible for about 5% of investor decisions these days. Is that, <laughs> is that what you, you know, when you teach people at the Harvard Business School uh, how to, you know, I don't know, do you teach investments? Uh, uh, I, I don't. I work with, I have a colleague <laughs> who I work with who teaches a financial statement analysis class. Gotcha. And, and I mean, I, I, you know, I've never really, you know, I'm, I'm not an analyst, but I've kind of t- scratched the surface of it. And I understand that, you know, it's, it's a process whereby you take the gap financials and then you like deconstruct them and rebuild them into something else completely. And that seems kind of funny to me. Well, I sat next <laughs> to dinner last night with a, an analyst yeah. and he was at the conference going to sessions to get like the vibe from the users of the software to find out if the company is worth investing in. If no, he doesn't care shit about gap. Yeah, right. 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 Because in the subscription economy, your users are one of those intangible assets, right? Those subscriptions, those aren't on the, those aren't on the balance sheet. And vibe or sediment. Do do you even have to disclose that in the footnotes, like the the details about the subscriptions and whatnot? I'm not sure you do. I I think that would more often come up in conference calls. Um, Yeah. You know, let me try not to put myself out of business here. Um, and say that <laughs> I do think that Gap is still very relevant. It's yes. just the face finance, the finance, the face financials are becoming less relevant. And so, I actually have some research in this area where we um, rely on some data that uses machine learning to basically analyze the entire 10K and pull out every single number that impacts net income. And so you have the recurring part, basically the operations of the business that happen every day. This is how we make our money. And then you have the non-recurring parts. And this is, you know, M&A stuff. This is pension adjustments, factors that you don't expect to happen every single period. Um, And we find that these non-recurring items continue to grow over time and have grown in the last 10 years have grown almost doubled. Um, and that when you control for those, when you take those out and create a measure of core earnings, you actually still get a very good sense of what the business is doing, how much money, how much money they're making this period is very predictive of what they're going to make next period. So Ethan Ruin, thank you so much for joining us and give us a picture before you go. Like what do, what do you do at the Harvard Business School? What's your, what's your day to day like? Um, so I am teaching a course called Reimagining Capitalism that very much uh, brings accounting and measurement into uh, trying to teach uh, future managers how to think about broader societal implication of business operations. Um, and I focus on research on inequality, human capital, and measuring what workers do. Well, I love the title of that um that course i would definitely take that course yeah, if I were a student. Well, when you're in boston <laughs> come on by well you can sit maybe in. i can audit your course that'd be great wonderful uh, so besides attending harvard if somebody wanted to learn more from you track you down talk to you on the internet and the social media how would they do that i do not have social media um i <laughs> I, I am on linkedin you can find me there oh, that counts. You can find that counts. Me on my, and um my contact information is also on my website which is ethanruan.com all right. Thank you so much for joining us. We we look forward to more what, what more fascinating articles on the, <laughs> the, from the from you and and uh, HBR. Uh, you're too kind. Thank yeah. you so much for the time, guys. I really appreciate it. This was fun. This episode of the Cloud Accounting Podcast is sponsored by OnPay. Many times, when choosing a payroll service, you have to choose between a new startup with a great app or an established company whose tech may feel a little behind the times. With OnPay, you get the best of both worlds. A great app from an established company that's providing payroll for over 30 years in all 50 states. 
OnPay is an easy-to-use, full-service payroll with simple, straightforward pricing, and it includes all their features. Employee self-onboarding, HR tools, health insurance, workers' comp tracking, and 401k. And with an accountant's dashboard and partner program, combined with best-in-class integrations with Zero and QuickBooks, OnPay is the right fit for all your clients, whether they have just one or 500 employees. They also handle all the complicated stuff that other payroll providers don't, like agricultural payrolls, including Form 943, multi-state payrolls, and employees with H-2A visas. I'm really excited to tell you that OnPay is offering an exclusive promo code only for the listeners of the Cloud Accounting Podcast to get three free months of OnPay payroll service for any of your clients that you set up by February of 2020. Head over to cloudaccountingpodcast.promo slash onpay. That is cloudaccountingpodcast.promo forward slash O-N-P-A-Y. And use code CAP3FREE when you sign up your clients. That is C-A-P, the number three, F-R-E-E. And to be clear, you cannot get this promo anywhere else. It's only available to the listeners of the Cloud Accounting Podcast. Wow, that was great. What a great interview. Gap, man. <laughs> it's, it's a little crazy. Mind the gap. It's uh, so but, quiet now. Did you notice this? I know. Well, because it's the last full day of Intact Advantage, and it's, what, almost 5 o'clock. So people are in the final sessions before the big Sage Intact official party at Caesar's Palace. But that's how they have sessions tomorrow. So some people are going to be going to yeah. sessions, possibly home over. But it's just half a day. Half a day. But the people peasy. who sign up for the Friday sessions are generally the ones who are responsible adults. Yeah. Right? So, <laughs> so, I, so so we can get in the news of the announcements that yeah. happened at Sage Intact this week. But I must say, just first time at this conference, people queue up lines like the lines for sessions, it's like going to the hottest like uh, brunch spot yeah. in San Francisco. You have to reserve a spot at the most popular sessions. Or you won't have a seat. Or Literally, you won't, you won't seat. Like get yeah. a seat. You cannot get there's, in. There's a standing room um, only waiting line. So yeah. uh, I was very impressed by that. Yeah. I was amazed at the level of attendance and the level of people really trying to get solutions to their problems. I think um, somebody mentioned to me, they went into a revenue recognition type thing and they were saying how they at the company they're working with takes it they have six hundred thousand subscribers to have to manage and like so like real serious problems here at sage intact it's a whole level up than my experience in yeah these are mid-market businesses with significant challenges that they have to overcome and and the accounting system financial management system whatever you call it erb erp uh is essential and critical to that and so it's fun to come here it's not just a party <laughs> people are really here to learn uh and not you know not just get um some cp to check the box right so we're here at Intact Advantage in Las Vegas. We've been doing interviews. How many interviews have we done over the last two days? Something like... We planned ten. six. We may have done eight. <laughs> we've I think, knocked out a lot. So uh, we've attended the keynotes as well. Um, and we want to give you guys an update on what's new with uh, Intact Advantage and our, the highlights, right? So we haven't planned this out. We're just going to sort of go through our notes and talk about what stood out the most for us this year. Yeah. So I, you want to go first, David? Uh, the one that stood out the most for me was two terms, finance 3.0, that concept of, you know, the... Moving moving from thinking about what happened to why did it happen, and then the 3.0 part is what will happen and how can we make it happen. So like that's that was, uh, I think it was Mark Linden who got up on stage, talked about that and said, like, this is where the product is going is we have, we spent, Intact has been around for 20 years and they spent the first 10 years building the 
what happened part. The track, just like the GL stuff in the cloud. And they spent the next 10 years talking about or building uh, the why did it happen stuff, the analytics, all that. And now they're, they're building, and AI was very hot this year, all the stuff that's going to help controllers, VPs of finance, CFOs, uh, figure out what's going to happen, right, and how to make it happen. So I, and I thought the, uh, the other thing that stood out for me was the other term they used, which I thought was very, uh, very strong. And from a marketing standpoint, yeah. they, they've trademarked the word intelligent GL. Yep. So that's, like, what does that, that imply? <laughs> it's, it's, they're going to be using artificial intelligence throughout the whole product. I'm wondering, you know, as AI is super hot right now, David. We talk about this all the time. Is it real AI? What's going on? Is it aspirational? How much are they actually building? We did see some actual AI demonstrated at the show in, in product. They have uh, two new big things, I think, that are using it. One is, is it, it's timesheets. <laughs> yeah, a lot of time tracking based on what you do. It looks like it's heavily uh, tied to the Office 365 stack. So if you're sending emails to clients, if you're using some, uh, you're working on a spreadsheet, tied to a client uh what was the third one uh, meetings if you have meetings with the client you can just it tracks these and you just drag them it pulls right them in as like draft entries yeah. uh, and then you just yeah you just drag and drop into the day that you want to book it to and that's pretty cool and actually i, I love the story they they're it's always fun when they bring up the developers I, that was cool this the the a lot of keynotes it's always a vp or a head of marketing or something like that yeah. They brought the developers that actually worked on the product to come talk to why they created that that feature of Intact. I don't remember his name, but uh, my favorite was uh, one of the developers who said that the idea came to him. It was he was hanging out with his uh, ex girlfriend, and uh, well, his girlfriend at the time, and she worked in professional services. I think in it must have been a big like big accounting firm. It sounded like, and she was doing an entire month of timesheets all at once, <laughs> one night, like on the deadline. And he was watching her do this and he thought to himself, this is insane. And he observed how she was doing it because obviously she didn't remember how she spent her time. So she was going through the calendar. She was going through her email and reconstructing her days and then entering the time. He's like, well, we could do that. Right. So that's pretty, I, I like just knowing why it was developed. It's, it's always fun. It's cool. Yeah. And the other piece but, was, but, uh, but I have to say, I think it's funny. Like, you know, we were talking about this uh, after the keynote that like, wow, the big announcement is we're building time tracking, which is something that the QuickBooks of the world, the zeros, like they've, they've already solved <laughs> for, right? But it's, I think it shows like the, like the development path is very different in the mid-market versus in the smaller side, the small business side, right? Because the pain points are different. So Intact has been focused on analytics and dashboards like integrated into the product and all the budgeting and forecasting and, and, and consolidating stuff. 15 business units yeah, the consolidations the right yeah, yeah, yeah like which is something that like you don't even think about as a small business with one entity so like they're they're tackling things in different orders yeah so so something like time tracking just has always been lower priority yeah because they're trying to solve these big massive gigantic things uh something they're, they're talking about you know get rid of the uh continuous audit they brought up yes um and using ai to to automatically uh what was it detect review and assure yep. was the terms Good. Of so so like the example was journal entries that are posted uh or draft journal entries that are ready for approval by the controller so intact has a cool feature where you can have your staff put journal entries into the system as drafts and then you know, send a notification to the controller to go and review and approve and only they can post it. So now 
instead of just seeing a big list of journal entries, Intact is going to assign a risk to those journal entries based on the history in the company. So if it's a new account and department combination on a journal entry, it'll assign risk to that saying, hey, this is new. We've never done this before. That's pretty neat, right? Yeah. So you can avoid missed postings, stuff like that. And they're taking that similar, we've talked about this in the past, like some expense reporting apps are detecting possible fraudulent or yeah, fraudulent expense reports or expense reports that are outside of the normal. Yep. And they're kind of applying that to all the journal entry transactions that are coming into the accounting system. Similar yep. thought process. Uh, another phrase that stuck out to me from the keynotes was that uh, their goal is to eliminate the close. Right. That was kind of a standing ovation. Yeah. People, well, for as first reserved as everybody was. And we talked more to Aaron Harris, the CTO of Sage Group, about so watch this for those interviews. statement. Yeah, and he's going to talk more about it. But it's a, it's one of those like big bold statements. But um, you know, it kind of brings up the question too, though. Like, well, what happens if Intech does eliminate the close? Like a lot of people, that's their job <laughs> is closing the books. So I think that you know makes moving to a uh, future forward. You know, they get into function. advisory, right? That's the theme it's, of all of the time. You can tie it all together. Everyone's talking about moving to advisory. They're just talking about it in different terms. Yeah. Uh, uh, one thing I think that was interesting, they, they demoed their uh, budgeting and planning tool that was very in their uh, insights tool that was very drag and drop. But the key takeaway, which, which really stuck with me, is this, like, not having to wait for updates. Like, they're, 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 because they're directly connected to the source of truth, People can get instant insights, instant answers. They're not having to like, okay, take these, export it to Excel. Somebody fix the formula. That dance that happens currently in processes. Yeah, and that's pretty cool. So, so that was um, a new functionality in Sage Intech Budgeting and Planning, which was formerly uh, Bajetta, which they acquired and have now integrated uh, directly into the product. Uh, and yeah, that was that was uh, that was neat to see. And and you know, that's again, that's like one of those features that a CFO needs for a you know, big multi-entity business with lots of departments that needs to uh, do budgets and have contributors handle those budgets. Uh, that is the kind of functionality you get in the mid-market. Auto entry came up a little bit, right? Auto, they mentioned they had one slide on the auto entry acquisition, though not a lot of details yet, but it is very new, right? You know, maybe next year we'll see some something about auto entry getting integrated. Uh, it would make sense. We also saw a demo of AI on the analytics side uh, with predicted billing, a forecast of predicted billing. So the idea being that if you put all of your customer contracts into Intact, which if you've got recurring revenue or customer contracts, you really that's the whole one of the big value adds of Intact. You put those in, and it can you know, forecast the revenue for you, uh, and then warn you if your predicted billing using AI is going to be different than your uh, budget forecast right and not just from a budget standpoint like they get into whether or not a customer is going to renew possibly right. or with the churn rate so they could possibly detect and surface like hey these customers might churn these customers are at risk yeah uh so that's pretty neat yeah i think that's all like the kind of the product type of announcements but actually i got happened. one more oh, for you, you. Uh, sage people oh yes their hr product which has been separate and is part of the you know bigger sage group is going to be integrated into intact so now you'll have uh, your HR information flowing automatically into Intact, and uh, in particular, those non-financial statistical accounts, right? Getting like your employee headcount automatically updating into Intact, as opposed to me having to go find out what it is and put it in every month, kind of thing. And because uh, Sage People was a completely separate acquisition that had nothing to do with Intact, I think. Yeah. Well, and that's you know, them. broadly speaking, that's like Sage's uh, operating you know, procedure is they. 
historically have gone out and bought a bunch of companies that are successful. Like the company's literally called Sage Group. It's a group of companies, put the Sage logo on it and market it and sell it, right? And a lot of times they're completely separate products that are completely different, different styles. And, and, and you know, we, we, I get the feeling that that is changing at Sage now because uh, it doesn't work anymore, right? Products need to integrate. They need to have a similar look and feel, right? It's, uh, and, and now with a lot of the intact execs taking leading roles in Sage Group, maybe we'll see more of that is my prediction. Right. Yeah, this so, definitely felt like a uh, well. I mean, they are San Francisco-based Bay Area company. Like, it felt very the the experience in the a very Bay Area tech forward, cloud-based company and, and, and conference. It definitely felt like that. The other announcement, I guess, is uh, at Intact Advantage 2020 will be in Orlando next October 12th through the 16th. So, book your calendars. I guess if you are, have a, you're interested in. Uh, you have mid-market clients and you want to yeah. learn more. And, and um, you know, for those who have CAS practices, doing client accounting services or outsourced accounting, uh, Intact does have an accountant's program and they have a special day at the conference just for accountants. So that's a good one to attend if you want to learn more about um, what they're doing here. I have, uh, I've always felt that it's good for an accounting practice to have at least two offerings to cover, you know, those, like if you want to work with mid-market clients, you're going to need to be able to handle consolidations, right? And, and that's just a great example. There's, there's many more use cases where it's, you know, QuickBooks is breaking, zero is breaking. You just can't scale it up anymore. If you have that offering, you're not, you're less likely to lose. If you have an offering like Intact for the mid-market, you're less likely to lose that client when they grow. Right? And you want to keep those clients. Because those clients are probably very profitable if you're trying yeah. to value bill. Yeah. yeah. And that's like, they can that's be like big. massive contracts that just dwarf anything else that your firm does. And uh, it's that, you know, you can be that outsourced controller still. Uh, but, you know, you got to have the solutions to do it. So, right. uh, Should we jump into other news that happened this week? Yeah. Let's talk about... I have a follow-up from last week. We were talking about, um, we got in a discussion about QuickBooks desktop payroll being discontinued. Oh, yes. And we, <laughs> we, we, we saw a headline, but we didn't know anything about it. So I found out, I talked to uh, Valerie Heckman that's on the uh, team at QuickBooks. And so it's actually QuickBooks desktop payroll in the UK. There we go. We missed that. That was a key key aspect of uh, journalism that we, we missed. Yeah. And we'll put a link in the show notes to the FAQ, but it was like, and, and to be honest, like, I didn't even know there was a QuickBooks desktop payroll in the UK, so the impact may not be as significant as last week we were thinking, like, oh yeah, my God, yeah. they're shutting down payroll. Well, and, and they do, this is no surprise to anyone who's been using desktop for a while, they do discontinue payroll for the older versions of QuickBooks too. So like this year, I think if you're on 2017 or 16 or earlier, then it's but discontinued it, in the it US. It works, it works. It's just you don't get to have support right. and you don't get updated tax right. tables. Yep, yep. Exactly. It's not supported. Uh, there's a ransomware. So another it's company right. got ransomware. And maybe this is like, you remember I talked about like, hey, I haven't really seen an example of a SaaS company getting ransomware. Yeah. Well, now it happened. put my foot in my mouth. <laughs> what happened? Uh, Bill Trust, they are, uh, they brought 550 employees are in Lawrence Township, New Jersey. They are a cloud-based service that lets customers uh, send out invoices, request payments for those, right? Um, they're, they're in our space. They're, yeah, I've, I've seen them around. I've seen their logo. I think they connect to QuickBooks. They may even connect to, to Zero, But they had a, um, this is on Krebs on security. So they had a, they get hit by ransomware. So 
what what was the impact of that? One of Build Trust customers actually did a day by day chronology of what's been happening and what they've been communicated uh, from Build Trust about. Build Trust has said that they uh, have been hit, and they've been. Um, when did assured. it start? This started. It looks like Friday, October eighteenth. There was the first communication from Build Trust. Um, assuming this is going the right direction in the order here, yeah. And it looks like they've been uh, notified that the data has not been compromised. At least that's what this customer is claiming. That's what they were told. That it's not been compromised. And they're working uh, around the clock to restore their service levels. So, but the service is down? They're coming back online. So as of Monday, October 21st, 8 a.m., they're coming online. So that was, we've been inside a, a casino for five straight days, a conference center. So like, it's not Monday anymore. Right. So they were down for what, three days? It looks like it, yeah. Wow. So, but we don't have a lot more details beyond that other than like, they have been hit. Right. Well, that's the thing is when you get hit by ransomware, there's no rules about, you know, what you have to disclose or how much you have to disclose uh, just specifically about an attack like that. So. But one of the interviews we did yesterday was uh, about HIPAA compliance, but it also we touched a little bit on the new privacy laws out of California. I imagine when there's uh, ransomware or breaches like this, things are going to have to disclose. Yeah, I'm curious to know more about that. Hey, I've got a story that relates to what we saw today here at Intact Advantage. This is an article in Corn Fairy's blog titled, Want Higher Profits? Hire a Female CEO, comma, CFO. So this is really relevant because uh, we were, it was great to see uh, the like main event uh, this morning at the conference featured a panel discussion with four, five female execs, right? Leaders in finance, finance leaders. And um, we were talking actually with Sage Intech's VP of finance, Laura Weiler, uh, about a lot of this stuff uh, in in an interview that's forthcoming. Um, This is really interesting, this stat. So, you know, I think we're all pretty much aware that female representation at the top of finance organizations as partners in accounting firms is pretty terrible. It's very low. Uh, companies with female CEOs, according to a study, a new study, saw a 20% increase in stock price momentum, a measure of positive price trend compared to their male counterparts in the executive's first 24 months in office. Female CFOs brought an even more significant impact. Companies that appointed a woman to the top finance role saw a 6% increase in profitability and 8% larger stock returns during the first 24 months in office. Over the 17-year period for the study, firms with female CFOs generated $1.8 trillion more in gross profit than their sector average. Like so if I'm an investor, I should just, look just for start a hedge fund female-led that, companies. That, yeah, that just invests in female-led companies, right? It's the exit plan. And so then the question we asked Laura was like, well, you know, why do you think this is? And I like her answer was really simple. It's just more diversity at the top of the organization creates, you know, more uh, uh, more diversity of thought, more ideas that leads to better outcomes. I love I love that. So I have an article that, that's the opposite of that. <laughs> okay. So this was in the Huffington Post. Um, Good old HuffPo. Yeah, so I'll read you the headline, and it's a little jaw-dropping, actually. So, women at Ernest & Young instructed on how to dress, comment, act nicely around men. Oh, God. I saw this, too. This is Uh, so bad. At the height of the Me Too movement, the message in the training seminar was, quote-unquote, fix the women. 
So this wasn't a training seminar from 25 years ago. This is fairly recent, um, a 55-page presentation. Yeah, not that long ago, a few years ago, right? Yeah, on a day-and-a-half seminar on leadership. There's some ju- there's some really terrible juicy tidbits in there, um, but yeah, the, the <laughs> what's the what's the highlight for you? Well, I mean, these are literally this is typed in there. Don't flaunt your body. Wow, like these are these are so there's screenshots, um, clips from this document. It's it's a decently it's a long read that's I'm having to post. So yeah. the show between the the. the I don't know if you can read it without your skin kind of crawls a little bit. Yeah. Like, are you kidding me? Like, really? So, but it's worth checking out and it's like, shame on UI for doing this. Yeah. Like, seriously. Like, it's, it's, it's so, it's so bizarre, clueless at some level. Yeah. We've got a lot to talk about. We could talk about, but I think we should save it for our next episode, David, because it is, you know, it's five, it's after five here in Las Vegas. So you know what that means. Let's end on a light note. Okay, let's end All on right, a light right. note. So the U.S. military will no longer use floppy diskettes <laughs> to coordinate nuke launches. But, you know, the, the floppy diskettes, you can't hack those, right? It has now <laughs> highly secure solid-state digital storage solution. Wow. Good, good for them. So I think, that, I think I saw an article a few years ago that they were the last uh, department. Oh, yeah, we were talking about the IRS modernization effort. So other than the IRS, our nuclear command was the last government federal government agency using that like ancient and they're using technology. eight inch floppy diskettes not five and a quarter <laughs> like eight inch floppy diskettes wow. so they must have you know seen what the irs was up to and said oh we can't be the last ones to modernize we better do something about it yeah now this puts a pressure on the irs but the more i've been thinking about the irs like we talked about last week about california's erp fiasco trying to build that i've actually started thinking about this like if the irs tries to modernize the odds of it actually happening and getting done what are we gonna are we gonna spend 5.6 trillion and let it take 30 years? Like, how is this actually going to even get done? Uh, it's, a, it's a very good question. We'll have to see. Maybe it'll take 20 years. Yeah. And then they'll be able to do it again. It's oh, a 20 boy. year cycle. On that note, we should uh, <laughs> call it a night, I think. All right. Thanks everyone for listening. This is Blake and David from Intact Advantage at the MGM Grand in Las Vegas. And David, if people want to get in touch with you, how do they do that? Uh, Twitter's one way. It's easy. I'm at David Leary. Uh, how do they get a hold of you on there? I am at Blake T. Oliver. And and what if they want to get in touch with us in person? Track us down at a conference because we are going to be at, well, if you work for the firm Acuity, we're going to be at your conference next week in Atlanta. Acuity is a firm that is uh, having their own accounting conference. and We've been invited to do a live episode there. That's exciting. We will and what's also- special about that is Acuity has almost 100% remote employees. So they're bringing them all in for a conference. So yeah. if you have a cool future thinking accounting firm and all your employees are remote, throw you on conference. Yeah. And we'll be at QuickBooks Connect. Wouldn't miss that. Yes. And that's in San Jose. And the following week... Gosh, I don't even know where I'm going to be anymore. Seattle Digital CPA. Digital CPA. That's in December, actually. Yeah. So I'll be at a Digital CPA conference in December. Oh, so. we'll be at the Practice Ignition party at Quickbooks Connect. Oh, yeah. We'll be there. And then there's another party. G- uh, Giraffe and, and, and um, Gusto and Routable are having a first night event. And yeah, track us down. Look for the Cloud Accounting Podcast shirts and get a sticker. Uh, hit our merch store. <laughs> Four of you have bought shirts. Like it's we've made, so amazing. To we've me. made, I think $20 on our merch store, David. The, like the, we might be able to retire. It, the, yeah. the merch store is, is really about just uh, having people take part in <laughs> and be part of our, our, it's like a, it's like a secret it's club. A club. Those limited edition shirts are going to be cool. Nobody else is going to have them. Uh, yeah. I mean, seriously, when you are walking around your town with the cloud accounting podcast shirt on, everybody's going to know 
that you're the boss. Somebody bought the Claddock the Love Nick shirt. I love that. <laughs> so on that note. On that note. Peace, everybody. Bye. Bye.